Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome back Summer Aiello. This is her second appearance on the show, and we had so much fun with her. We discuss Season 8, Episode 7, called The Ratings Game, which had an original air date of November 15th, 1986. And that's all you need to know. We are ready to jump on in, so let's do this. Let's face the facts with Summer Aiello. Summer Aiello, back so soon, and I am so happy. Welcome. Thank you so much. Couldn't stay away. <laughs> That's And I thought to myself when you were like, I'll do another one. My first thought was, she was just on. I just had her. And I look back. It was July. It's been six months already. I know. It's crazy. I, I do not know where that freaking time went. That is insane. Yeah. It just, you know... <sighs> It's the normal time passing, I think, also coupled with everything that's happening with us right now in the world. It feels like the days sort of just mirror every, you know, the days really feel repetitive more than they used to in these past two years. It's, it is such a weird, I'm very aware, it is that we live in such a weird time right now still. This isn't your run of the mill. Oh, time goes by so fast. It's, it is dreamlike sort of floating in a cloudy stupor of, of, huh? And and, also we live in Orlando, which it's just like LA where it's like, I've been trying to have lunch with my old roommate for three years. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, we just worked together. No, you're a sub and you worked here in February. Yeah. 2015. Like seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. It, It is absolutely like that. Mm-hmm. So, so true. Well, I am thrilled to have you back to talk about this show, Season 8, Episode 7, The Ratings Game from November 15th of 1986. Are we ready to talk some nuts and bolts, kids? Yeah, let's do it. We got to talk about something. This episode was written by Ross Brown. This is his first of seven episodes that he will be writing for the series. Next season, he's going to become a producer for all of the episodes, all of season nine uh, through the end of the series. Uh, Previously, he's written for Webster, The New Gidget, The Cosby Show. In the future, he will be writing for Who's the Boss, Step by Step, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And in the future, he will also produce who's the boss, step-by-step, and uh, another significant producing credit on his resume, Kirk. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say Kirk? Mm. No, it's not a Star Trek sequel. It's Kirk as in the Kirk Cameron show after the the series. And yeah, oh, I'd love to hear some of the stories about that because I hear he was insufferable back on the set of Growing Pains. Other credits in uh, Ross Brown's IMDb page is that he is the assistant director 
for 12 episodes of Knott's Landing. This is directing now, not writing. Uh, in 1980, he was the second assistant director for the movie Private Benjamin, Goldie Hawn vehicle. That movie is so good. I love that movie. I love that movie. Continuing this second assistant director uh, job title, he was second assistant director in 1983 to a movie called National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? That's yes. directing credits that predate this. So he was he was on a director's track and probably eventually could have graduated and parlayed that into being a director director. Yeah. But he also wrote and he ended up getting into writing more, which is that's fascinating. He would be an interesting person to talk about and say, OK, your Hollywood journey is clearly an anomaly. Speak. Yeah. That would be very interesting, but we don't get guests on this podcast. That would mean work. <laughs> so the episode was directed by John Boab, in-house director. And that's pretty much it for the nuts and bolts. We are, we're already there to start talking about this episode and summer. I don't know if you recall, this is when we like to put our guest on the spot and ask you to provide a one to two sentence synopsis about the entire episode, similar to a short listing like you might find in a TV guide. Go! Okay, Blair creates an early 90s version of Tinder. Beverly Ann learns how to manipulate a computer. And Joe lies and gets away with it. Yes! There you go. There yes. you go. Yes. Yes. Matthew, did you have anything that you wanted to say about the synopsis? Um, my synopsis was, um, who the fuck wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is a valid question. And um, we, were, we were talking earlier about it was Ross Brown. Oh, you meant rhetorically. I'm sorry. I thought you were asking me to. Right, right, right. This, this is the most convoluted. I watched it three times. Mm -hmm. And I'm still not sure I quite understood what was happening. Really? It took me two viewings. I, I watched it twice. And the second, the first time I was kind of a little, huh? But then the second time I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm not saying everything makes sense, but I'm like, it's the, the the sort of uh, it's like i get what they were going for it's not as as crazy as i orig originally thought but we can get into this we can we can start talking about it did you understand it summer did you have big questions or little questions i understood i understood it great like and i wonder now like since you guys are questioned it now i wonder if i did really understand it i'm confused now that, that i was just like oh yeah 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 this all makes sense great wrapped it up nice <laughs> so now we've made you question your own judgment. Yes, okay. Now I'm, Mission now accomplished, I'm Matthew. <laughs> Zoom high five. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm worried. Okay. All right. Well, this is a very, very, very important episode to this podcast because before I had my opening theme, I used to start the show with a little bit of the cheesy intro music from one of the episodes. This is the episode where the music that starts off as the opening credits are rolling, this is what you hear.
Uh, I used to steal that. And more importantly, on every episode since its inception, I end this podcast saying the facts of life are all about you with the end credit music you hear at the very end of this show. So this is it. This is where it all comes from. If it sounds familiar when you're watching the show on the Daily Motion, it's like, that's why, kids, this is it. This is and it was a random. I literally just started clicking on episodes to try to find something clean without a lot of talk and ambient sound making it sound shitty. So uh, there there it is. This is the stupid stuff that I would be interested in if I were listening to this show. And that's why I have tens of listeners. Oh, I listen. Oh, you're sweet. I do. So uh, we start at the store. Um, We have a lot at the beginning of this season. We have so many times that we have said and will continue to say, who is minding the store? Because everyone is always off doing other things. Well, everyone is minded. It's all hands on fucking deck, kids. Everyone is there. Andy, Joe, Natalie, and and Tootie all working. We're talking, Natalie has a clipboard. Tootie's carrying a carton of something. Andy's showing Beverly Ann how to use the computer. It's like, whoa. This is trying to make up for all the times that there's nobody minding the store. Right. And was there nary a customer in the store? Oh, of course not. Hell no. No, there was not. So they're they're making plenty of money that they can afford to pay everybody for working because it's either the store is open or it ain't open at all. Yeah, so got it. And it's such a common thing, uh, Summer, where it will always start with two or three extras just leaving the store. Thank you. Call again while the credits are rolling. It's like, okay, this is this is giving the impression that somebody eventually does set foot in here, but we didn't even bother with that this week. Fuck the extras. We we do not have the budget. Well, because we have all the extras to pay in the party scene later. That's where we're going to spend our money much more wisely. So Beverly Ann is frustrated because she's having trouble getting the hang of the computer. What I know. Pick yourselves up off the floor that Beverly Ann in her flighty, goofy, uh, spacey, uh, flakiness is also unable to learn how to use a computer. I know. Get the shock off of your faces. Andy is very uh, supportive in trying to teach her (laughs) to the point where he's physically, he like pats her on the back and pats her head, like runs his hands in her hair like he's petting an animal. And it's like- That was weird. I I wrote that down. I was like, why did he do that? (laughs) Yeah, she ain't your mom yet. She's going to eventually adopt him, by the way. But right now- she is just the new person replacing Mrs. Garrett. And he's this kid that was there at the store. It's I mean, I guess nice that you all get along. Nice that you can be that comfortable with each other. It'll it'll serve you well when she adopts you. But- I took that as um, something that an old person would do to a young person. You know what I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. And that he was like, oh, good. Like if Andy had gotten something right on the computer, an old person might have been like, oh, good job, young man. Like he was like, oh, I'm the teacher. Like, oh, good. I, I don't know. I took it as like <clears throat> the, a play on their ages. I see what you're the, saying. 
I cannot disagree with that. And actually, when he does it, it is followed by him putting her glasses back on her face for her. Right. Her reading yeah. glasses. Yeah. Like, as in, come on, you can do this and all that. Um, yeah, you're right, Matthew. I take back everything I said. It's a brilliant moment. Um, and then I'm trying to find all the positives I can. <laughs> In fact, I'll say this on the opening scene. This is my favorite Natalie look with the red hair pulled back <gasps> into the yes. love. It is. Love. It is love. As as someone with a chubby face, it is hard to pull off a slicked back hairstyle like that. And she looks beautiful mm -hmm. doing it so mm -hmm. she she and i both have the the jowls to to say I'm, give me some fucking hair around the face it adds a little softness around my face you know <laughs> yeah i thought i thought she looked so cute yeah i agreed love and and loving the red hair she didn't have red hair till this season you'll notice she she didn't have it when you were here last oh, yeah. time uh loving the red hair no um, i love her red hair mm-hmm Yes. Uh, so then as Andy's explaining the computer, uh, he's like, you just answer the questions and, and do this. And then the question is, do you want to go to Mars? So the punchline of this bit is, oh, I can't figure out this computer's difficult. It's a game. It's like, ha ha, she's trying, he's trying to teach her to play a game. Certainly not anything to do with the business or the, you know, keeping inventory or balancing the books, God forbid. But Anyway, that's supposed to be your little pre-joke. It's so funny. It's so funny because I thought, I didn't even think that it was a game at first. I thought she was just like making, it was just a poor joke. Like, because she was, she was just talking about how she didn't understand it. So everything like looked alien to her. Oh, you I see. see what I'm saying? Well, there is a later point where she's like, I got it. I, I blown yes. up satellites or something. So it's it, clearly a, it, you know, space invaders. It wasn't until that moment that I was like, oh, it is like a game. It's like a game like, yeah. the, old, like the grandma plays in Carousel of Progress. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> it's like an old, it's a, it's a space game for an old lady. <laughs> Carousel. <laughs> oh, dad, this coming from someone who doesn't even have a car phone. <laughs> I know. She's like, oh, got it. Actual line from the Carousel of Progress, ladies and gentlemen. She's, she's playing the 86 version of World of Warcraft, for Christ's sake, over here. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, um, then Blair enters, and now we can actually begin the real plot of this episode. Blair comes in with a file cabinet announcing, you know, when you come into a room and announce things to your friends or you introduce people, this is a TV trope that I absolutely detest. And Blair claims this is an end of an era. She's throwing out her files. What files? Thank God we have Beverly Ann nowadays to be the, okay, bring me up to speed with all the things that I don't know about you girls. Cause we've never had Blair talk about actual files. We know Blair is very discerning. We know Blair, uh, when it comes to the men she dates, certainly has expectations and a punch list. But now we learn that Blair has file cabinet, little file cabinet full of paperwork where Blair explains that she gathers information on every guy at Langley, her college, and rates them. And then she goes on to say she's putting them on computer. So she can now exchange the information with women all over the world. That's why we don't need 
the hard paper copies anymore. So Blair mentions that her rating system is based on things like height, weight, what car he drives, financial mm -hmm. status, family background. And essentially she ends up with this one to 10 scale. Like we're talking Bo Derek, 10, which is from 1979. It's still somewhat recent. Definitely was still talked about in the eighties at this point. So it's a rating scale of one to 10. And nice line from Beverly Ann. Well, back when I was dating, we only had Roman numerals. <laughs> that, I did laugh at that. That was very funny. I and that. she brilliantly throws it away. Like, it's not like a three camera sit sitcom joke where she goes back where <laughs> when I was growing up, we only had Roman numerals. Ha <laughs> ha! It was it was just so brilliantly just yeah. said as she walked by fucking brava, Cloris Leachman. I, yes. I wanted more Beverly Ann is what I wanted. I wanted more Beverly Ann in this episode. Yeah, they're still in the phase where they don't quite know what to do with her. But yeah, what she does in this episode, I'm I'm here for. I liked it because they didn't have her being uh, confused, out of sorts and flaky. That's what they do so much with her at this point. Um, because so then, then she does that other great joke where she's like, because Blair is like, um, well, we figure out like what car he drives and how much he makes and blah, blah, blah. And Cloris or Beverly Ann is like, well, I didn't even know about that much about my husband when I divorced him. Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. I laughed True. at that too. <laughs> so Blair says she's hooked up to a girl at Barton College who uses the same rating system. Now, we've never heard of this Barton College before, but whatever. Uh, they've set up an exchange. So there's a mixer that they're having at the house tonight. And this girl, Muffy, is sending along 20 guys and... They're exchanging the ratings information and Blair is going to be doing the same for Muffy. And uh, they do have a joke where Tootie says, Muffy, mm -hmm. her name is Muffy. What kind of a person is named like Muffy? And someone says, beats me, Tootie. And it's one of the biggest laughs of the entire episode. That's saying a lot. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm kind of like, it wasn't that funny because what, what is Muffy anyway? I did look it up. I guess it's supposed to be short Maybe. for Muffin. You want to know what muff is, David? Okay. Um, well, I'm not familiar due to my sexual orientation, dear. This might be an awkward conversation to have. But it's... <laughs> when a man and a woman love each other very much, David. Um, I'm thinking I found something on the web saying it might be short for muffin. Muffin is a little nickname, often for the name Mary or Margaret. I don't oh, know. Okay. Yeah. But Muffy is literally a product of the eighties. Like nobody was named Muffy before 1981 and nobody has been named Muffy since 1989. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But anyway, it's no, just, I think it was like in the society, it was like one of those society tropes. I think it goes all the way back to like the fifties and the twenties, David, like mm -hmm. Muffy, Buffy, everyone into the Puel, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like yeah. and what's her what's her pussy in Mame? Who's like Gloria Upson? Who's like Glory? Who's like yeah, yeah Glory? And uh, her she would have a friend named Muffy. Mm -hmm. Oh, she would. Yeah. Oh, it, when her friend is what? Um, B Bonnie Bixler. That's her yeah. friend, Bunny. Yeah, Bunny wouldn't be her name. And we had, of course, we had Boots St. Clair. That was a character Jamie Gertz played a couple seasons ago. Boots, sometimes called Bootsy. Yeah. So very preppy, very eighties, very of its time. And I'm, I'm going through all this because I'm here for it. It is such a nostalgia 
uh, rush for me to hear names like Muffy and oh, I love it. Love it. So, so I thought it was so interesting when Blair is explaining this whole rating system. Did you hear like the audience was like weird? Like they kind of they like kind of chuckled a little, but they were like, it was a it was an absolute reaction to the whole audience was like, this is very shallow. <laughs> like you could oh, just oh. feel you could feel the vibe. So I think whenever. 2D's like, oh, Muffy, what kind of a name is Muffy? And Natalie's like, oh, I don't know, 2D. They were just ready to laugh, I feel. And maybe that's why that got such a big laugh because they were, they were like a teeny bit like going, what, should we laugh at this? Should we laugh at the fact that she's like ranking people, how much they make and what kind of a car they drive? Yeah, <laughs> men can do this with women, but it's really awkward to hear a girl doing it about boys. That's... Um, I can't sign off on that. It's I mean, for the, for the right for the eighties, I feel like it was a. I that, that feel like the audience felt weird about it. Like they I'm, weren't sure if they should laugh or not. Yeah, no, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you, and that's why any any jab that Joe was able to get in to cut Blair down and be like, "What are you talking? What is that?" You know, be, the audience was kind of on Joe's side there because, if nothing else, I'm a lazy person. To me, I'm like, this isn't awful lot of work right i mean how many how many really eligible guys dateable guys attend this college that you just can't keep track of shit and say yeah he's possible he's not already went out with him you know what i mean it's like this is such a tv thing of right. someone going to the, the the little black book that larry had on three's company the that's i think that's a a middle-aged vaudevillian writer's room thing more than a real world thing right ah, but then blair goes over to the computer and uh asks the girls if they want a preview of who all is going to be coming and joe says um it's a mixer i'm going to meet whoever i meet when i might run into them and then blair's like okay i guess we'll just fix you up with a two ha <laughs> ha so not much else happens in that scene the next scene is in the living room uh, they're decorating for the mixer. Now, they only mentioned the mixer before, that there was a mixer. This is the first time we realize it's happening here at their house in their living room. Not at the college where all the kids go to school. It's when we had Paul Vogt on the show early on in a two-part episode with Mrs. Garrett getting married. He said, does everything happen in the living room? I mean, everything happens in the living room. We're like, yep. So here we are again, having a mixer in the living room. If the Golden Girls can have a class reunion at Blanche's house, the Facts of Life girls can have the mixer there. Yeah, why not? And even Natalie does do a little bit of work to try to justify it. She's like, why am I helping out with all of this? I don't even go to the school like you guys do. Meaning right. only three of the four of us do attend. I guess there's some thing of well we've got a house and a business that we own so why not let's host it we also have a fucking college down the road that has <laughs> that has tables that has things that no no it's just a tv trope and don't forget next week for the wedding they're gonna have a wedding in their living room rather than go to city hall so yeah no. yeah just giving it give in to the 80s sitcom trope that everything happens at their house. So true. So true. Speaking of Three's Company, 
the very last episode when Janet gets married. She gets married at their fucking apartment. Of course she does. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like, like it's, really? it, I mean, do you think it has to do a lot with budget? They don't want oh, to make yeah. another set. Oh, I think it has everything to do with yeah. budget. Absolutely. They're, they're just like, why build a college rec room when we can just have it in the living room? We've had yeah. everything in the living room. Mm-hmm. That's, ex- that's exactly it. It's still uh, enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> so as Natalie is complaining about them having to do all this stuff to set up for the party, um, Tootie does say, well, Blair did say she got some of the guys to come over and help us move the furniture. Ding dong at the door, perfectly timed. She opens the door and there are two of the nerdiest nerds you have ever seen in your life, Ron and Don. I need your first reactions to them now, please. I um, I thought they were like TV nerdy because I... Honestly, if I had opened the door and seen them, I'd have been like, hey, what's up? Hey, guys. I thought they were attractive. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. they were cute. I mean, they were obviously TV nerd. So they're dressed like, you know, in the propeller hats. and But I thought they were both attractive. Like, I would have not opened the door and been like, ew. <laughs> I would not have screamed, ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen some nerdy nerds, some super crazy, unattractive. I mean, I was one at that age, but it's, yeah, it's very, very funny. That, that's, I think that's the perfect way to describe it is TV nerds. Uh, what are your thoughts, Matthew? Well, again, I think, I mean, Revenge of the Nerds had come out, had it not by now? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, yes, interesting you would mention that. Revenge of the Nerds had happened in the summer of 84, so two years prior to this, and the sequel, Nerds in Paradise, would not be until summer of 87, the following summer. I just thought it was old vaudevillian rider to put propellers on them. I was like, in 86, like yeah. the propellers? Propeller okay. beanie, yeah. And that was part of pledging the fraternity. That was the thing, but... But um, it wasn't, though. That's what they thought. she thought. That was the joke, was that, oh, we were dressed like this because we are pledging a... a of fraternity and they and Natalie said oh what happens when you get in you get a new propeller and like the propeller wasn't part of that like that was the joke they were like no we get a new jacket we're wearing and they actually said we're wearing the propellers on our like I thought the joke was pull it up David no 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 I'm not gonna pull it up I thought the joke was that they one of them says something like I'm sure you're wondering why we're dressed so crazy And they say, well, the, the, you know, the thing, and they say, it's because we're pledging a fraternity. And they say, I, oh, I, oh, oh, you're pledging a fraternity. That's why you are in these crazy getups with the propeller hats. And their response was like, no, it's just the propeller hats. That's the thing. Right. I thought that, the joke was that only the propeller hats were right. imposed upon them by the fraternity. The rest of it was all them, right. all of their personal nerddom. Because then Joe says, so when you make the fraternity, do you get a bigger propeller? And the guy yeah. goes, oh, how'd you know? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I felt like the propellers were just, that was the pledge. And then the joke yeah. was, and then the joke was that they were dressed like that on their own. Yeah, so right. exactly. All right. But, um, but the deal is, 
these two actors, it's Ron and Don, Don on the right, Larry Spinak is his name, only has 14 credits from 1985 to 1991, but they're all pretty high profile. We're talking fame, Silver Spoons, Married with Children, Who's the Boss, Mr. Belvedere, Dear John, Parker Lewis, Can't Lose. So it's like he, wow. he had some pretty high profile network shows that he had performed on. Since 1999, he has run a company called Computer Nerds, a full-service computer consulting and repair company in Los Angeles. Well, and actually, you can go to his website from, I think it's from his IMDb page. You can go to his website, and there he is, a picture of him, and he literally calls his company Computer Nerds, and that's what he does for a living. So he's gotten out of the biz, as they say. He probably makes a killing doing what he's doing. Oh, I'm sure. Jesus. Um, and then next to him as Ron. Either of you guys uh, recognize this actor playing Ron? I didn't recognize him until I looked it up on IMDb and saw his name. I thought he looked familiar, but I don't know what he's from. I did not look uh -huh. him up. This is producer, director, writer, Paul Feig, who is oh, best wow. known for directing movies like Bridesmaids and The Heat and Spy and the Melissa McCarthy Ghostbusters. He's done a lot with Melissa McCarthy, but he created the comedy series Freaks and Geeks. Oh, He's wow. directed yeah. episodes of The Office, Arrested Development, Weeds, um, Mad Men, Nurse Jackie, 30 Rock, Parks and Rec. He also produces tons of stuff and he was a producer of the newest Joel McHale show that was on Netflix and he was always in the audience and they would always like he would always find a reason to appear like he's never not acted he always makes cameos in all the stuff that he does because he's very funny yeah and um apparently he was on 24 episodes of Sabrina in the role of Mr. Eugene Poole oh which was a regular I don't know I never watched Sabrina I'm far too old. I didn't but either. Yeah, this is Paul Feig, 23 or 24 years old here, very early in his career, but he would go on to be uh, quite the powerhouse of uh, entertainment and comedy uh, for the new millennium. So Ron is wearing a dark mustardy brown jacket and a bright yellow shirt. The sleeves are rolled up perfectly perfectly, impeccably, showing the yellow cuffs of the sleeves over the sleeve of the jacket. He's wearing high-waisted pleated pants and a bolo tie and a lavender pocket square. The colors are a little bit off, but in general, I look at him and I'm like, this isn't that much crazier than like Matthew Modine and Married to the Mob. Right. As far it's, as the cut of everything, it was, it's, it's not that crazy. It was not outlandish at all. Like I said, if I no. had opened up the door and I'd just been, have been like, there's, these are two like pretty handsome guys wearing silly hats. Yeah. Like, I, I and, wouldn't have even like noticed their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it. They're not unattractive. Again, remember Revenge of the Nerds, Anthony Edwards, who had previously played like football jock types and, and still is considered a sex symbol after the fact, when he's on ER and stuff, Anthony Edwards was considered, yeah. oh, he's one of the nerds. He wears a pocket square and has glasses. And, and interestingly, neither of these guys wearing glasses. If you're costuming classic nerds, interesting they didn't put glasses on either of them. 
but right when you think classic nerd you think steve urkel uh, high, totally the high water pants the suspenders a plaid shirt a bow tie glasses mm -hmm. sometimes with the tape in the middle you know a pocket protector that's what you think yeah. of but don is the one who's dressed a little bit more weirdly he has got this super oversized plaid jacket like super crazy does not fit him not even a well it's just big shoulder pads because it's the 80s um, but the collar is popped, bright aqua-colored shirt, also high-waisted pants with suspenders. Guys wore suspenders when they dressed up in the 80s. Um, but uh, yeah, casting-wise, they both were spot on. They delivered the lines. They didn't, they didn't do what Jon Stewart did on the live episode of The Facts of Life. It's like... They just played it and they they delivered the material and did so beautifully. So uh, kudos to them for that. There is a little tiny bit cut in syndication where Natalie slams the door in their face and the others are like, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, no, we can't. And even Beverly Ann is like, Natalie, come on, let them in. It's, it was this little weird moment where it's like, that was harsh, girl. But anyway. They talk about the pledging the fraternity thing. And then when they say, so what can we do to help out? Tootie's line. Uh, why don't you come in the kitchen and help with the food? You can be in charge of the dips. Yeah. <laughs> you see what she did there. And I get another big laugh from the audience. Audience loved mm -hmm. it. Yeah. But no sooner do the nerds leave, ding dong at the door, then we get the main course has arrived. Kevin Blair is the actor. That was his stage name at the time. His actual name is Kevin Spertus, S-P-I-R-T-A-S, -S, in the role of Doug, arrives on the set. How yummy is Doug? Oh, Doug is great. Doug is great. Mm. Doug, Doug ticks all the boxes. I mean. And I was Joe, like I was Joe. Joe when she looks at him, she's like, oh, hello. And then when yeah. he starts talking and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Joe That's was it. like, whoa, maybe I'm not a lesbian. Damn. Oh, and the, unfortunately, the one time she's not. Oh, oh darn it. <laughs> because, Matthew, I think you're about to say what I think you're about to say. Oh, his stage name at the time was what, David? Kevin Blair? Kevin Blair. Yeah, after this, he changed his stage name to Gay Gayerson. Oh. <laughs> he came out and has gone on to play gay roles, including a recent Emmy Award-winning show that he produced and starred in called After Forever, which was on Amazon Prime. It's where he's paired up uh, with Mitchell Anderson. Mitchell Anderson famous in the gay community because he was on party of five in the 90s playing like the like a music teacher like a small supporting role but he came out came out and the world lost its fucking mind because someone on network television came out without the inquirer forcing him out of the closet yeah and um kevin spurtis who is still out there still producing still working still damn attractive really 41 credits in a nearly 50-year career. And uh, 
he did make the list of the 20 hottest guest star guys on the new now next logo.com list that they did. He was number three. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. I mean, it, he, he is so hot. He is so hot. My favorite credit of, of little Kevin Spartus that he did. Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was um, the hills have eyes too. It's, the second in the franchise, all I could hear was Moira saying, the crows have eyes too. It's the second <laughs> in the franchise. All I could hear when I read that credit, I was like, oh, the hills have eyes too. He was calling for the second in the franchise. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I had to get that in there. Because yes. Sorry. No, I love it. Sorry. I would say to me, he looks like the love child of Christopher Reeve and... um. Shit, I wrote it down. Rhea Perlman. No, not Rhea Perlman. Christopher Reeve and Justin Kirk. You know who Justin Kirk is? I don't I don't know him. What what is he in? He was on Weeds. He was the brother-in-law with uh, Mary Louise Parker. He was uh, briefly he played um Mitchell's boss on Modern Family. He was in um Love Valor Compassion, the play and the movie. He was in the movie of Angels in America. Um, when I show you a picture of him, you'll be like, oh, that guy, yeah. And I think both of those aforementioned gentlemen are sexy AF. Yeah, and he has a great voice too. Ugh. His voice is great. Ugh. <laughs> I love because I love, I love like guys' voices. And I and I always like if there's a good one, he just has a great voice. He has a great voice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um I'm very self-conscious about my voice, as a matter of fact. But when I see a guy like Doug in 1986 that I know is gay, it's hard not to picture him like on the cover of a VHS Falcon video, be in the back door of the video room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like it's hard to picture like he looks like a 1986 porn star. He's that beautiful. Uh, yeah. He's porn star beautiful. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying my gaydar didn't go a little when I saw him. And then when I looked up his credits, I was like, knew it, got it, clocked it. So Gaydar still does work sometimes. Uh, But nonetheless, he really doesn't play anything gay here. He is the nicest guy. And Joe and he quickly connect because they're both from the Bronx and they even have some mutual places in common. He used to play stickball with her cousin and uh, obviously a really great connection. And because he's there to help with moving the furniture and setting up for the party, Great line to the end of the scene. Natalie walks in. My, 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 I see you've gotten a lot done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> Horny Natalie. She's like, yeah, I hope you guys was fucking. <laughs> I love Natalie so much. Yeah. I identify with her. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now we're at the mixer, the next scene. And uh, Tootie and Natalie are looking around the room, commenting that among all the many, many extras that we see, Blair's system apparently works because there are a lot of handsome guys there. And in particular, they're admiring this very well-dressed handsome man standing over by the fireplace. And I have to say, when they cut away to the guy, I realized there is a horny woman in that audience. When Doug first came in in the previous scene, there's this one, we hear this one, wow, in the audience. (laughs) And once again, when they say, like that guy over there, you hear again, woo, 
It's like, lady, I don't know who you are. I love you so much. <laughs> she's she's the agent of them both. It, that's their agent. She's yeah, out she's, there like, she's like, oh, Whoa. she's like, yes, the 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 checks, the ten percent of all this, I'm gonna see. Yes, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm close. I'm close. <sighs> but the man they're admiring over by the fireplace is a guy named Bob. His name is Bradley White, the actor. This is his first acting credit, but he is still at it. 61 credits in a 35-year career, mostly one-offs, some occasional recurring roles. Um, and Tootie is grappling with being too forward about approaching him. This whole thing of, we're still in the land of, ooh, a girl approaching a guy. Ugh, that's yeah. so weird. God, he's going to think me a fucking whore. You know, uh, we were still aware enough to think maybe somebody in that writing room was like, this next line is inappropriate on a female driven show for Natalie to say, men are intimidated by strong women. You can't go over and talk to him. Mm. Yeah. Somebody in that writer's room should have stood up and said, Natalie should be the one saying, go talk to him. Yeah. Yes. This was not a very girl power episode for me, no. considering, like you said earlier, Summer, I feel like the audience was confused by, they, like, I feel like I want to support Blair, but like, she's not, it, it, but ugh. so I, I totally, when you said that, my, my, my mind went like, that is exactly what this episode was for me. I was confused by who I was rooting for, who I was supposed to be rooting for. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was. You you can actually, you can feel the audience. They're not exactly sure what they should laugh at, you know? So so that's why I think like some of those like cheesier jokes got huge laughs because they're like, oh, well, we can laugh at that. That's like a real joke. Yeah. But like, yeah. are we supposed to laugh at the fact that um, the, this that like- Blair's girl, calling this guy a two, you know? Right, are we supposed right. to laugh at that? Like, And yeah. then also too, are we supposed to laugh at Natalie going like, oh, we shouldn't like, we shouldn't come on too strong because men don't like strong women. Like when yeah. it, it was the end of the eighties and there was just starting to be that push of more like feministic views about that. Yeah. And you are know. writing for a show that is powered by women. Right. You are writing for the only show in television that had four women leads before. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. No, but. you guys are totally onto something. And what what I'm thinking as as is going on with this is, um, with that thing of 2D approaching the guy, this should be a girl power episode. Blair with the rating system and the numbers the power seems like it should be with the women. And yet it does feel like the men still have the actual power mm -hmm. in the episode. They're right. still waiting on. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. This, 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 there's an identity crisis here in the script. You, you guys spot on. And I didn't think of it that way before, but you're totally right. Oh, oh. And then the other line here, again, it is always weird to the show's credit summer very, very rarely does 2D play the race card. Very rarely oh, do they do yes. they ever make humor that is directly racially related. And so the occasional times they do, it is it is a little jarring. So you know I'm going to talk about. It shocked me. Mm -hmm. Why was I? Sh I shouldn't have been shocked, but it just seemed so weird. It was a weird line. 
because Tootie said, um, well, I don't want to come on too strong. I just want to walk up to him and say, hi, my name is Tootie. Do you believe in interracial marriage? And it's like, you know, and the funny and the terminology still fine. That works nowadays. It's not like, you know, like a mixed mixed marriage would have been a little antiquated and stuff, but it is very weird. And that is one of the greatest accomplishments of this entire series. I've always said is that only rarely do they use Tootie's race for the joke or for uh, uh, trying to make a point. And, and it was weird to do that. Not there's anything wrong with the joke, but it is off brand. It was another moment where the audience like, they kind of laughed, but they kind of didn't. So they were like, why is this a joke? But why is that funny? You know what well, I mean? It's funny because of it's basically her introducing herself and bringing up marriage in the same sentence. I think I, I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind the structure right. of the joke, as it were. But did he, not to belabor the point, but did, was Tootie's line, I want to ask him what if he believes in interracial marriage? Or yeah, I, I, thought, I, I think it was I that. Said, I thought she said, I want to see how he, I want to ask how he him feels. how his feelings on. His so I'm going to find it. I'm going to look yeah. it up right now. That made me go, uh, believes in. Oh, it's nope, not nope, you're Nope, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Hi, I'm Tootie Ramsey. What do you think of interracial marriage? Yeah, what do you think? There it is. So I'm the racist here, not, not the show or the writers. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's your underlying racism, David. I mean, right yeah. there. I just, I just find it interesting, though, because if that, same, if that same line was written today, I don't think they would even put interracial in it. I don't think it would be a, about her race at all. I don't think they would yeah. ever make... And no, I don't think they'd ever really notate that moment to bring up her race because now, because interracial relationships are so normalized, right? Yeah. And maybe that's what makes it feel a little bit on the weird side because maybe there's a little bit of an ask there. The subliminal thing is, would you date a black woman? Maybe that's what's still, there's that tiny little something, something's a little off here. Well, that's what I took from it. I think it would depend on the sitcom, whether that was used today. If it was like a three camera sitcom, like I, there's a commercial playing in heavy on the Pluto channel for a, I think an ABC sitcom right now called The Neighborhood with Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in it, he finds out that like he's related to the white guy and the wife says, well, that means you're, and he says, hopefully adopted. <laughs> no. Right. It depends on the the le the kind of sitcom you're writing for whether that joke might still be played up there. Like Steve Harvey might say that, you know. But yeah, it is off brand here. It's not bad or wrong. It, it was there was an eyebrow raise, definitely. And uh, the, obviously, if we're like you say, not to belabor the point, that's what we do here, Matthew. This li literally, this podcast could be called "Let's Belabor the Point," shall we? So um, when they do walk over and approach this guy, Bob, the first thing out of his mouth is, um, who can I make it out to? And he pulls out a pad of paper and a pen. And they're like, um, uh, the what now? And he says, Bob Dillingham, Channel 51, Barton College television station. I do the weather. And uh, there is a little bit cut from syndication that does 
have a callback later that actually makes another moment a little bit funnier. He says, you know, when the weather is good, I do this. And he gives a big smile and two thumbs up. And then he says, and when the weather's bad, I do this. And the frown and the two thumbs down. And then he says to them, would you like to come back to my place and see my satellite photos? And Tootie and Natalie literally are like, fuck to the no, clear out, bye-bye, we're done. They just walk the fuck away, and it is awesome. That is a TV trope that I feel is actually true. What is? Whenever they cast, like, a newscaster that is a complete pompous ass and is an idiot, I don't know if enough people in the non-entertainment industry know that that is exactly how those people are. Oh, really? really? Ever, I don't have a lot of experience. No. Have you ever worked with like a, a local like anchor or anything like that? Anchorman, Anchorman was so true. <laughs> it <laughs> was it? it extra? These people are pompous assholes. They think like they're like the fucking Willard Scott of Melbourne. You know what I mean? It's well, like, yeah. I, I imagine okay. there's perceived fame when you're locally famous, when it's like, yeah, I mean, any anchorman in the Orlando market could come up to me and say, hi, <laughs> Chuck Simpson. And I'd be like, I don't watch the news. I do not know who you are. I And they would full on pull that. Don't you know who I am card? It is. Yeah. Uh, I did a I did the red carpet for um for what did they used to call that thing? The AIDS ball the headdress ball headdress ball yeah i did the red carpet for that and they were like we want you to be like a joan rivers person and people who are inside will be watching you on the screen before um before the show starts Ah, so when they said you're going to be joan rivers joan rivers was a bitch right so (laughs) i mean she she was known for being brutally honest to people on the red carpet and so (laughs) this guy walks by (laughs) i interview my go who are you wearing and I said now tell everyone who you are and he said who he was and he was the local CBS anchor and he and and I said I said oh my god there are probably 20 people inside watching how does it feel to have more people watching you now than watch you on the news (laughs) oh my god Matthew (laughs) he looked at me like I had just spread my butt cheeks and shit on his shoes <laughs> and they came up to me afterwards and were like uh you need you, you need to be nicer to you need to be nicer to people <laughs> like he was pissed and i was like fuck you wow. asshole wow and another little bit that's cut is like wow maybe blair's rating system might be off and then it's like yeah well i guess looks meaning to look at him, you'd think he'd be one of the tens, but she right. threatened Joe that there was a two coming to the party. And they say, wow, looks can be deceiving. And then Ron and Don walk by and Natalie's like, and sometimes they're not. And uh, then we get to where we come back from the little uh, excision of this, where Joe is sitting on the stairs and Beverly Ann goes up to her and says, why aren't you mixing? And Joe's like, yeah, I'm kind of waiting for someone. And it's like, okay, I see what's going on here, girl. And uh, their conversation is interrupted by Blair at the top of the stairs in a stunning satin Kelly green. I want to call it a onesie. What do you call that article of clothing, Summer? I'm not a girl. 
it's I call we call it like a romper, like a romper. Like yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I say pantsuit. Yeah. I think of uh, you know a, like a jacket and pants right. that match, but a but, romper, yeah. yeah, a romper, as in it's one piece, short sleeve, gorgeous. One hundred percent, I would wear that today. Ah. Oh. Oh. And it's that lovely, you said, Kelly, I found it to be more on my screen, an emerald color. Again, a jewel tone. And I, you know, Diana Eden loves a jewel tone. So, Very true. Uh, that could be my computer screen, but whatever you call this shade of green, it is gorgeous. And stunning. because and of she the looks, sheen. And she looks stunning in it. I mean. They, it was clearly, and the, the idea is she walks out on the top of this like fucking Ava Perone balcony here. <laughs> oh my, has the party already started? You know, her mm -hmm. making her fashionably late grand entrance. And they were like, oh, we need to costume her appropriately for that and fucking home mm. run. Damn. Damn, she looks uh amazing and yeah, i would love awesome. to see you in that outfit summer you would look stunning in that as well 100 thank you i would wear it in a heartbeat mm -hmm. i well, do love a we'll start looking on ebay okay yes <laughs> so blair makes her entrance and she and joe we are now only now getting to the meat of the episode that's also what's weird about this writing is we are well into the action of the show part of me is like why wasn't this conversation back in the store before the party began right where blair says are you ready to meet mr two and joe says i'll meet whoever i want to meet and um um, this is directly, I'm, I just want to, I'll quote it directly from the show. I'm sorry, I'm reading the script now. I think you're afraid to admit these rating systems work. And Joe says, no. And Blair says, okay, then let's put it to a test. I'll spend the evening with a 10. You can spend the evening with a two and we'll see who has a better time. And Joe says, I'm not going to hang out all night with somebody just to prove a point. And Blair says, okay, how about a half an hour? Isn't it worth 30 minutes of your time to prove that I'm wrong? And the stakes are that Joe says, okay, 30 minutes and then we'll compare notes. And if it doesn't work, I get to dump your files once and for all. This is, this is the conflict. This is the, the game of the episode. And this is, you know what? We're already more than a third into the show. Yeah. We're, we're careening very close to the commercial. In fact, we're almost to the halfway point. So uh, Blair says, well, she has the two already lined up. Let's see if he's arrived yet. While she's looking around, Doug shows up and uh, he meets up with Joe. And no sooner do he and Joe reconnect. Hi, hi, good to see you, glad you made it. Blair quickly swoops in, grabs Joe and brings her over to meet Bob. And the audience reacts appropriately like, oh, we know this guy is a pompous ass. So he's the number two. We suspected that, but he is. And then Blair says, I'll be with my 10. And she walks over to Doug. And again, the audience, oh, like they're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's Joe's guy. She belongs with him. Mm -hmm. And thus ends the party scene that we have one more scene before we go to commercial. We're at the store. Andy and Beverly Ann are still working on the computer. Joe is nearby, but a little bit quiet. It is discussed. Uh, about Blair talking to some guy the night before. And then Beverly Ann on the computer uh, 
is happy. She's had some type of a win. She's figured something out. And she says, great, now I can do the store inventory. And then she goes, oh, oh no, oh God, now I've done it. And they're like, what, what happened? She says, I accidentally put in Blair's ratings disc and erased it. And Joe says, it's okay, I can fix it. And then, thank God, this is the line that fixes a lot of problems for me. Joe says, all I have to do is call out to the bulletin board that Blair subscribes to and transfer the information back to the disc. You remember what bulletin boards were? Are you guys, you guys are both too young, aren't you? Bulletin no. board system in the 80s? I mean, are you talking about a physical? <laughs> Matthew's laughing at you, Summer. I love you so much, Summer. Oh my God, I love you so much. You mean the cork thing that you put the pins in? Yeah, where they put up the audition announcement? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, okay, so, <laughs> so I, I, I did work on a computer in the 80s, but I didn't, I mean, I was young, so I didn't know about that. Well, we had an episode uh, a couple of seasons ago where they just had a computer and somehow they miraculously logged onto the disk of a rival store and wiped their files out. And it was an accident, but there was nothing talked about as to how they could possibly do this, technologically speaking. And I was like, you couldn't have just mentioned that oh yeah, we're renting this computer. And of course the modem to call into the, the service that we use to balance our inventory or whatever. But yeah, computers in those days before the internet, they worked over telephone lines, physical, actual telephone lines. And bulletin boards was just like a website that, um, and I had one, I had one that I ran and so did my friends. You would get on your computer, you'd get on your modem and you're basically your computer would call another computer. Oh. on a phone line and then it would be all text-based but there were message boards where you could leave a message and a reply to people and there were file sharing sections and considering Langley is supposed to be a shishi college on the you know level of uh, Dartmouth or um, Wellesley so it's possible these colleges did have sophisticated enough systems that there would be student message boards and so when she said that, I thought, oh, okay. The, that other episode, no explanation was given and it was fucking confusing. With this, I'm like, oh, Blair's on a bulletin board system and she shares a file and she keeps it on a disc. And yeah, if she had uploaded it to the board, Joe could grab it, download it and resave it to the disc. I'm like, this is, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. This makes sense technologically. I mean, I just accepted it. I, you know, it, it, it all sounded like, a message board system like what we used to do like so I was in college you know in the late 90s and so like our college like we we had like a college message board you know what I mean uh, so I just I that's yeah. what I thought it kind of was like how she it, it is I mean it still would go on to be you know it is like that but the, just the thing that I think is fun to bring up is that I had to have a separate phone line for my bulletin board system for people to call into. Oh, I see. Okay. And it was it was literally one computer at a time. Well, thank you for explaining it because my next note was they're connected to the internet because <laughs> I, yeah. I I was very confused as to how they were exchanging messages and everything. So thank you for well, explaining it. Now you know. Just think of it. It's think of it as. Bulletin board systems were a text-based internet 
where only one computer could talk to one computer single, single-handedly single at one time. It was so rudimentary and yet uh, it's bizarre to think of how it grew and what, what it's become nowadays. Yeah. So Beverly Ann leaves, Joe is alone. And so she sets about the task. She just said, I have to uh, call into the bulletin board system and then download the file. And then she says, talking out loud to herself, it's all right, I'll have this fixed in no time. And then she stops and pauses and you realize she gets an idea. And quoting John Lovitz from SNL, she goes, yeah, that's the ticket. Mm -hmm. And... We go to commercial as Joe is setting about doing stuff on the computer. So we know she's going to fuck with Blair's files and her system. Mm. So when we come back from commercial, uh, we are in the store. Blair comes in. She says, oh, I had a great time with Doug. And did you have a good time with Bob? And in response, Joe smiles and gives the two thumbs up. So that's a callback to the thing that was cut from Mm -hmm. syndication, FYI. Still funny in and of itself, funnier when you know that. Um, So Blair says, admit it, my rating system works. And Joe says, oh yeah, funny about that. Muffy called and said, you better log on to the computer because there have been some changes or something. Can we talk about somebody called and left you a message that that was a viable plot point that you could do and lie about as opposed to, well, you know, Muffy would have texted me to tell me that herself if that was in this day and age, you know? Right. But uh, uh, yeah, so-and-so called and told me to tell you this. Oh, okay. Thank you. Totally believable. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Blair logs onto the computer and first words out of her mouth. That's impossible. What? Who could think Doug is really a two and that weatherman is really a 10? And Joe's like, uh, yeah, I told you I had a really good time with Bob. And Blair's like, well, what am I going to do now? And Joe's like, what? <sighs> Maybe you need to break your date with him. And Blair says, you know what? No, ratings are just a tool. I'm going to keep going out with him. And the audience again is like, oh, like they want Joe to be with Doug. And they're really mad that Blair sticks to her guns for 30 seconds. Then we go up to the bedroom. Blair's on the phone trying to break the date. And then Joe comes in, catches her. And then uh, with Blair saying, well, what am I supposed to do? And Joe's like, well, maybe you could set him up with somebody else. And cut from syndication, she's like, you know what? Maybe that would be nice. Maybe at least let him settle for second best. Natalie, Natalie, are you free? Would you go out with? And she's like, nope, I have a, I have a date with Snake. We are mentioning Snake, Natalie's boyfriend, all the time now. He's becoming this regular fixture on the show. Next season, Summer, she's going to lose her virginita to him, by the way. Oh, In a very special episode. Also, what's Mm -hmm. interesting to me, what's interesting to me is the show posits that Natalie is second best in the house. That in Blair's mind, so Blair's like first, and then Natalie. So poor Joe, where does Joe fall? Like she's standing right there. <laughs> oh, by the way, Natalie says Snake is taking her to the drive-in. I don't believe he is, Natalie. The local drive-in closed. Remember, you tried to start a petition back at the end of season six where you wanted to save the local drive-in, but it was going away. Anyway, anyway, we're not gonna we're not gonna get caught up in that stuff. Next in line, well, Natalie can't go. Tootie. 
asked Tootie if she'd go with him. And Tootie's like, um, the, no, this is something's weird here. No. So Joe, to her credit, is really playing it cool. So she says, well, Blair, I guess you're out of luck. And then Blair says, all right, Joe, would you go? And Joe's like, I'd love to help you out. I can't. I already have a date with Bob. And Blair's like, well, that's perfect. We'll switch. And Joe's like, wow, you want me to go out with a two and give you my 10? <sighs> okay, but Blair, you're gonna owe me one. And that's where the scene ends. So Joe's plot finally does work. And then when we come back to the next scene down in the living room, Joe and Doug are coming back from their date. They had a great time at a concert. Doug is wearing jeans, uh, a polo shirt, a big oversized 80s jacket and cowboy boots under his jeans. Really sexy. Just going to say it. Damn. <laughs> um, so then we do pose the question. Joe says, what made you ask out Blair anyway? Like, what the fuck was up with that? <laughs> Not, without directly saying, I thought you and I connected that right. afternoon. And, he's, and he says, I saw you were taken with stormy weather over there. And I figured if she was a friend of yours, then there must be more to her. And now great, uh, uh, arguably a classic line from the entire series. Joe says, well, that's the thing about Blair. At first, she seems to have this shallow facade. But once you get to know her, you realize that's actually the deep part. Great line. Yeah, great. Great line. line. And he says, well, I like that you're honest. At which point Joe starts to squirm because she realizes, yeah. yeah, I pulled some shady shit to make this date happen. Yeah. So Joe has a conscience. That's a good thing. Blair comes in with Bob, does her best to get him the fuck out, not kiss him goodnight, give him the brush off. You can tell she had a terrible time. Joe is like, oh, good. I'm glad you're home. Blair, can I talk to you in the other room? And they go into the store and Beverly Ann is there to overhear it. And this is the moment where Joe says, Blair, I tampered with the numbers. Bob is actually the two and Doug is the 10. I did it so I could go out with Doug. I fucked with it and I fucked you over. I'm paraphrasing. And Blair's response is, nice try, but it's not working. And she says, huh? And she says, you think your little plan to steal Bob from me is going to work? Nope, it's not. And I know you're probably kicking yourself. And Joe shrugs and says, well, I tried. So Blair goes out, leaving Joe and Beverly Ann. And Beverly Ann looks at her and says, you were telling the truth, weren't you? And Joe's like, mm-hmm. Well, oh, well. So now we come back to the living room, Joe and Doug. And as he's starting to leave, we have this final dialogue. And I, I liked it so much, I wanted to include it. He says, I guess Blair and Bob hit it off. And she says, I guess some people were just made for each other. And he says, well, I got to get going. What do you say we take a trip down to the old neighborhood tomorrow, meaning the Bronx? We can take my motorcycle. Mm. And Joe's like, you have a motorcycle? And he's like, yeah. Oh, when he said that, her panties got wet. <laughs> she was into it. She was like, fuck me on this couch right now. Oh, damn. One hundo. And, and Summer, you don't realize uh, three weeks ago, Joe had to give up her motorcycle so they could renovate the bedroom to oh, give her a little more privacy. No. 
So Joe doesn't have a bike anymore. This is coming along at the perfect time. A dude who's into bikes and has a bike of his own. It's like, uh, love it. And in response to this, Joe says, like I said, I guess some people were just made for each other. And he goes, I'll see you tomorrow. And out he goes. She shuts the door, leans back on the door, freeze frame, roll credits. Oh, this is the start of something big. Now, can I ask you something really quick? Um, do you see Doug and Joe together in subsequent episodes after this? Absolutely not. Never hear from him again. Oh, no. In fact, Summer, next week, Joe is going to offer to marry a man to get him his green card. So, yeah, apparently Doug didn't work out. Wasn't quite the 10 or wasn't worth the trip to the Bronx, apparently. Damn. Yeah. Wasn't riding worth riding his cycle, if you know what I'm talking about. Why did they do that to us? 80 sitcoms, girl. <laughs> 80 sitcoms. I mean, Matthew, you're you're more of a Golden Girls aficionado than I am, but how many times did they have one-off boyfriends? Uh, that that this week they've been dating for months. So, oh, Blanche, you've been seeing this man for months. It's about time you got serious. Wait, wait, yeah. last uh, week she was at the big shindig that took place in your kitchen with, with <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, got it. And the week before a dude proposed yeah. and yeah, so. it's that 80 sitcom thing where Nope, never see or hear from him again. And next week, yeah, in the show, it's this friend of hers named Enrico with whom she's been spending a lot of time over the past few weeks. Yeah. So Doug is clearly out of the picture very quickly. Yeah. And it's damn, a damn Doug. shame because <clears throat> he is fine. Well, maybe he, maybe he came out to her when they were in the Bronx. That's what it is. They went out on their motorcycle ride. They went to the old neighborhood and he said to her, Joe, if you knew, my heart is singing right now because I've always been looking for a guy like you. <laughs> and then Joe would be like, um, you, you know, I'm a woman, right? And he'd be like, what? Nah. I thought you were that guy who sings at the nightclub in Atlantic City. <laughs> You're not Michael Damien from The Young and the Restless? Wait, what? <laughs> I, I thought you were Flyman. Maybe he just always had like designs to put her in the friend zone from the very beginning maybe he was just like i could I, mean, I connect with this woman she's like from the old neighborhood she likes but you know she's a fun chick to hang out with and then i'll say i'm into men <laughs> <laughs> i mean it has happened before uh, it happened to me twice wow <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just I had two like really good friends in my life. Like we were very, very, very close. And and we went to we would go to the beach together and like and I just was like, I know he's gay, but he's never come out and said it. So like maybe there's a chance. <laughs> wow. Yep, you never know. He's just he hasn't found the right woman and it's me. He took me to Southern for the first time when I turned 18. And then that's when I like really knew. And then there it is. <laughs> what are your final thoughts on this episode, Summer? Okay, my final thoughts are this. Um, I, I thought it was a very odd episode. Um, I feel like there was not a lot to it. Nothing really got accomplished except to really say that Joe 
that Joe has a good heart, right? She really, in the end, you know, she, but I feel like it was very centered around Blair and her, and her shallowness, like just super shallow. And I I don't, it just was. Because technically Blair is right. Doug is the 10. Yeah, no. And and Bob is the two. Blair is right. And you would have loved it if the episode had somehow been able to pop that bubble of right. uh, superficiality. I, I would have loved if they would have let Blair stand by when she goes, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go out with Doug, even if he is a two. Like when she found out that they had been changed, I would have loved it mm-hmm. if she had stood by that. That would have been a great moment for Blair to have been like, you know what? I am, you know what? I don't care if he's not a 10. I'll go out with him anyway. Because I feel like it would. Well, they could have said, instead of her coming in and having him being an ass and her like, nah, 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 have her just come in and have her just say, I'm, I'm, I'm back from the date now. And then Joe say, let me talk to you. And when Blair says, oh, you think you're going to get me away from Bob? And she's like, you like Bob? And have Blair say, uh, he is great. We go to the same dentist to get our teeth whitened. He has the most amazing set of hair dryers. And oh my God, his walk-in closet is amazing. Like there are things they totally could have had in common as two shallow people. Right. Where yeah. th- That would have been a great twist, I yeah. think. Yeah. Blair, learned, Blair learned nothing in this no, episode. She learned nothing there at is. all. And then and and then it there wasn't even a really good resolution with Joe going, I'm coming clean and Blair going, oh, being like a little disappointed but then going, you know what? Oh, you I thank you for telling me or whatever. No, she was just like, I don't believe you. How dare you? Goodbye. And, then, and Joe was like, mm-hmm. well, I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is that there's always the whole thing of, you know, admitting wrongdoing to the person and have the person be like, yeah, I knew. Right. What? And she's like, I called Muffy. Muffy, Muffy didn't call here earlier, leave right. a message for me. There were no changes. That been great. Muffy called me. Yeah. Muffy called me saying, why are the numbers suddenly so very different? So that would have been completely right. plausible. And it would have been great if Blair went, you know what? I know you changed them. And you know what? I think, I think you were right. I think you should be with Doug and I should be with Bob. I think that would have been a great way to end it. Yeah. And then have her say, and uh, maybe it's time to give up the system. We're graduating this year anyway. Yeah. Maybe it's time to get away from the numbers and actually just start talking to people. Because we we dropped that even at the end. Like Joe made no more mention about the system at all. Like about, because remember that was part of the, ultimatum like if you do this then you have to give up the system i don't know it just was a oh that's right yeah there was actually a bet yeah so it should have been you have to throw it. yeah you who was right and who was wrong and again that's that happening so late if the structure was weird yeah there's there's a lot of potential here that was not realized yeah. but i mean Sad. all in all natalie looked really cute her hair looked cute cloris leachman is always fun oh. when she's on the screen and and doug was a treat on the eyes he was and Paul Feig adorable. Yeah. Both him and his friend, but in particular to be like, wait a minute, who is I know, wait a yeah. minute. And then you look it up, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, it was fun. It was a perfectly fun episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad you got to watch it and share it with Thank us. Thank you so much. Oh, and your dog is even happy. <laughs> Thank he's you licking for your me. face and 
jubilation. I know. He, uh, any last thoughts, Matthew, before we let this girl no, go? I agree. <laughs> I agree 100% with every single word the Samuraiello has spoken about Aww. the episode. Fun episode. Cloris Leach and Blair stole the episode in the final scene, I thought. And what was she had that one line? Do you know what they do to girls that look like me in prison? I thought it was oh, a great line. Oh, that was line. a great line. That was a great line. <laughs> Girl, if you're in that green jumper, I'm not sure I could blame them. Yeah. Just saying. And Joe's reply was tantamount to like, oh, brother. Like, it was so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my darling. Thank you again so much for doing thank this. You. And I cannot wait to have you back. Smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Bye, Summer. Thank you. Bye, guys. That was Summer Aiello. The only follow-up is that uh, we got a little bit lost in uh, lusting after and drooling over Kevin Spiritus that I actually didn't get a chance to talk about some of the more impressive credits that would follow this appearance on The Facts of Life. He was already a musical theater singer-dancer Broadway guy. He had been in a chorus line on Broadway. He was also in the Broadway cast of Meet Me in St. Louis. And he was Hugh Jackman's understudy in The Boy from Oz. I think that was 2003. And the other credit that I missed was that for seven and a half years, he was on Days of Our Lives. That's a long long stint on a soap opera. And uh, he played a character called, oh God, I have it here somewhere, uh, Dr. Craig Wesley. And uh, the thing of note with that is, uh, because it's Days of Our Lives, he got to play his role opposite Joey on Friends when Joey was Dr. Drake Ramore. So uh, Kevin Spiritus has been on Friends as the doctor from Days of Our Lives. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So I uh, wanted to be sure to point out some of these other career highlights. Uh, He's no slouch. And he even has a a one-man sort of cabaret show that he has done. And the entire thing is on YouTube. So I'll put links to that in the episode's webpage. And uh, damn, he is a singer, like a singer with a capital S. So uh, wow, really great that he went on to bigger and better things after the facts of life. Next week, our friend Angie Sardinia is going to be back, and we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 8, called The Wedding Day. You can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, and remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.